0: Amen. Thank you, Wally. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, To me, there's something uh, very exciting about someone who's new in the faith, young in life, excited about life. And there's also something exciting about those who uh, have been in the faith for decades. Hospital beds quick runs to the emergency room, wondering what's going to happen. Coffins, pain, faith intact. Something special about senior saints, amen? Hebrews chapter 1, we're about two-thirds of the way through our Sunday night series in Bible doctrine. Some of these doctrines, of course, are major doctrines, some are minor doctrine. The word doctrine, of course, just means teaching. And so it's a bit of semantics at times to know the difference in what we might call a Bible principle and a Bible doctrine, since both technically are teachings of the Bible. And frankly, whether we call something a principle or a doctrine isn't anywhere near as important as recognize that something is a Bible teaching. And then putting the weight on it that uh, God puts on it in uh, the Scripture. Uh, my continued goal, as you've heard me say so many times on Sunday nights, is for Bible Baptist Church to become people who not only know what the Bible teaches and what we believe, but I want us to know why. Christian growth begins by learning what the Bible teaches and what Christian behavior should be. Uh, Christian maturity comes when we learn why. We do those sayings and believe those sayings. Last week, we started a subject that holds great fascination to both Christian and non-Christian alike, a subject so fascinating that some pay more attention to these creatures than they do to their Creator. Angels are mentioned in the Bible about 297 times, and if we're not careful, we can make uh, them more of a focus to us than Jesus Christ is to us. Last week, we learned that the word angel means messenger, that it's applied at times to a human messenger sent from God. At times in the Old Testament, it is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, but most of the time it just refers to an angelic creature. And then last week, we learned that there are three orders of angelic creatures. There are seraphim, there are cherubim, and there are angels. We learned that among the group called angels, there are holy angels and there are evil angels. And we saw how the devil and his angels, evil angels, and how God, our creator, has his angels, holy angels. And we learned that hell itself was created by God for the devil and his angels, the devil's angels. We learned last week as we closed out that among The group of evil angels, there are a group now imprisoned uh, for some offense, uh, about which we're not told, and then there is a second group who are loose among us, and those evil angels who are loose among us are the evil spirits who can possess those who do not know Christ as Savior. And those same evil angels, those evil spirits at times, will try to oppress the people of God and hurt God's work, though they cannot possess a true believer. Uh, Please don't become one of those people who imagine some evil spirit behind every sin or difficulty in your life. Most of the difficulties in our life are linked to our fallen nature and bad choices rather than an evil spirit. But there is an aspect of the spiritual realm that is evil. It's real. And we're told to leave it alone. And so last week we simply finished thanking God for the Holy Spirit that lives in every true believer who is greater than the evil one and any of his evil angels. And so we pretty much left off last Sunday night with this simple question. What is the nature, purpose, and work of good angels? It's entirely possible to be so focused on good angels that we lose sight of the Creator who often uses angels to do His work and help His children. But even though some get out of focus on angels, tonight I want to pull back the curtain a bit on the unseen spiritual realm so that we can better understand these powerful creatures who are faithful and true to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear, there is a spiritual realm that cannot be seen by human eyes, unless God chooses to give us a glimpse. And though we do not know all we wish we knew, God has told us all we need to know about that unseen spiritual realm, which gets us to our question for tonight, what is the nature, purpose, and work of good angels in our world, and in the lives of followers of Jesus? If you're able to stand, if you would stand tonight in honor of God's word, Hebrews chapter one, beginning in verse six, it says, and again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, that's speaking of Jesus Christ, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Hop up to verse 13. But to which of the angels said he at any time? Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Thank you. You might be seated. In this particular section of the Scripture, we learn the purpose, the general purpose uh, of angels. We learn that their general purpose is to worship God and minister to those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If we were to go through Hebrews chapter 1, we would find that it sets forth the superiority of Jesus as Creator and the Son of God compared to the angels who are a part of His creation. Now, there is some debate over the author. The Bible doesn't specifically say. I, purpose, I personally think it to be the Apostle Paul, and so did the King James Bible translators, where they write as the book begins uh, the epistle of Paul to the, the apostle to the Hebrews. And we're not specifically told that, and it doesn't really matter. What matters is that it's the Word of God. And either way, in verse 6, Paul, I think quotes an unrecorded prophet to teach us that good angels worship God. In verse 6, again, when he bringeth in the firstborn and begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. You see, Jesus is not subservient to angels. They are subservient and obey him. He is their creator. They worship Jesus. The psalmist said in Psalm 103:20, He said, "Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word." The author in addition to pointing out that angels worship Jesus, he points out that angels are spirits. Verse 7, he said, "And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire." That is, as angels do not have bodies of flesh and blood and bone like you and I have tonight. By the way, that's one of several reasons I do not personally believe the sons of God in Genesis 6 were angels. I believe they were men. But on occasion, we do know, like in Genesis 18, angels do assume a physical form And they can eat and drink with men, just like they did with Abraham and Sarah there in Genesis 18. But they are not flesh and bone and blood. They are spirits who neither marry nor are given in marriage. Uh, They are not like Christ, the Son of God, who sits on the right hand of His Father. Verse 13, but to which of the angels said he at any time, sit in my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And here he quotes Psalm 110. It's a messianic prophecy that Jesus sits in the right hand of God His Father in heaven. And in fact, He not only tells us they're not exalted to the right hand like Jesus of Nazareth is, He tells us very specifically what they're here to do in verse 14. Are they not all, all ministering spirits? sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. Uh, Remember from last week, uh, they are not female. They are not children. They are not winged. They are not people who lived previously on earth who became angels. They are a separated and separate created order from human beings. It is in their ministry as an angel... They are a messenger of God. And the word angel means messenger. They minister to the people of God to save people. And it is in this role of ministering to people of God as a messenger that we very often see them in the Bible. Uh, This was especially true in the Old Testament when there was no written scripture as of yet. Uh, You may remember in Genesis 16, there were two of them who came with uh, God to visit Abraham and communicated God's plans to Lot and his wife there in Sodom. It was an angel who was sent uh, to Abraham to uh, to help the servant of Abraham find a bride for Isaac in Genesis chapter 24. It was an angel that Jacob saw angels ascending and descending from the heavenly ladder when he made his pillow and bed there in Bethel when he was leaving home. It was an angel who, angels who met Jacob in Mahanaim when he returned home after 20 years away from the promised land and away from his family. And though angels are God's messengers, hear me when I say this, they are not the messengers who carry the gospel of Christ. That's our job. In fact, in Acts chapter 10, when God sent an angel to meet with Cornelius, he didn't give Cornelius the Gospel. He said to Cornelius, you send men to Joppa who will get, and get Peter and he will tell you what you need to do to be saved. They are messengers, but they don't carry the Gospel message. We do. Angels were active messengers on occasions surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. It was an angel who came to Elizabeth who announced the birth of John the Baptist. It was an angel who came to Mary to announce the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was angels in the sky outside of Bethlehem on the night our Savior was born who announced His birth. It was an angel who appeared in a dream to Joseph that he should take the child to Egypt. Though angels are messengers, they're not gospel messengers, but in their role as a minister to the people of God, they often carry God's message. That being said... You and I are not listening for the voice of angels. We are not looking or listening for angelic messengers from God today. You and I today are blessed to live in a day when the entire Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, it is complete from Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter 22. We are listening for the voice, the still small voice of God's spirit speaking through his scriptures. But they are not just messengers as they minister to the people of God. As we saw a moment ago, they minister to believing people. In verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? That word minister is the same word that is elsewhere translated deacon or serving or servant in the New Testament. As believers... You and I do not serve angels. They silently, secretly, and purposely minister to and serve believers in Jesus. In fact, we are specifically warned about worshiping them. Go back in your Bible to Colossians chapter 2, and you can leave Hebrews behind. we we'll are be done with that for tonight. Specifically warned. Colossians chapter 2, verse 18, Colossians two eighteen. "'Let no man beguile you of your reward "'in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, "'intruding into those things which he hath not seen, "'vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind.'" Notice you are being beguiled if you voluntarily humble yourself or worship angels. And in doing so, you intrude into an area that you have not seen and cannot understand. Now, it may sound more spiritual to think somebody is some expert in the unseen world to be able to discern whether, uh, what to give angels credit for. Uh, but listen, uh, to do so is to be, be- beguiled, to be deceived By the way, thank God for whatever He chooses to do through angels, whatever He chooses to do directly by His Spirit, and what He chooses to do through people, but in all cases, the glory and our attention belongs to God. We see angels fulfilling this role as ministering spirits throughout the entire Word of God. Uh, It was two angels who helped Lot and part of his family leave Sodom before God rained fire and brimstone on that wicked city. It was an angel who stood on the path of Balaam, the prophet, trying to keep him from compromising God's command. It was an angel who came and shut the lions' mouths in the den for Daniel when he was tossed in there for refusing to uh, bow down to the king and pray to the king instead of to his God. It was angels who ministered to Christ after he fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. It was an angel who troubled the water at the pool of Bethesda so that the first person into the pool would be healed of their affliction. It was an angel who strengthened Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane when the looming burden, both emotionally and physically and spiritually, was so heavy upon him that the says. Says that his sweat fell as it were, great drops of blood. It was an angel who rolled the stone away to expose that Jesus' body was no longer in the tomb. It was an angel who opened the prison doors for Peter to escape on the night before they intended to execute him on the next day. Angels are regularly seen in Scripture fulfilling their role as ministering spirits to the people and work of God. In all these examples fit exactly what we're told about angels there in Hebrews chapter 1. They are ministering spirits to believers. But God is our focus, not the task of angels. Which gets us to our second thing. When we think about the Lord Jesus, uh, that description fits exactly how Jesus spoke about angels. Go in your Bible to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Angels played a big part in the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth, and he spoke uh, at least somewhat often about them. Matthew chapter 18. And by the way, uh, unless God tells us about angels, you and I can't know anything about them with any certainty. It's just like heaven and hell. If God doesn't tell us what those places are like, you and I would have no idea what they were like. God has to tell us. Uh, When it comes to angels, listen, there is a lot of information out there that is mixed with men's opinions, man's speculation, and lies from evil angels loose among us. The only thing we can know with certainty is what we're told in the written words of God. Uh, And just like People very often make up a personality uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ that they like, that may or may not be accurate. People also make up work and identities and tasks and situations for angels that may or may not be accurate. But it is no surprise that what the Lord Jesus said about them is 100% accurate. Just like what we read and learned last week about this cherubim and the seraphim, The Bible teaches us all we need to know about them, just not all we wish we knew. Last week, we saw how angels will gather unbelievers for judgment at the end of the seven-year tribulation. We talked about that from Matthew 13, verses 40 to 44. Tonight, we see that children have an angel watching over them from heaven. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 18, 10. He says, take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you, that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. And this is a statement from which people get the phrase guardian angel. But hear me tonight when I say it is far more important we recognize that our safety and our children's safety is of the Lord rather than because of angels though the Lord may or may not use angels to keep us and our children safe. Uh, This verse does not conclusively prove that every believer and every child has one angel watching over them who is responsible for them. That might be true, but that is man-made. Did you notice these angels says that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven? Uh, They're not on earth with them or with a child, doesn't say that, nor does it say that each person has one angel assigned to them, though that could be true. It's not necessarily true. Uh, We do know this, that at least some people like Elisha in the Old Testament, he had far more than one angel assigned to him. You may remember that there was a situation when Elisha the prophet was trapped in the city of Dothan and uh, the Syrian army sent soldiers and surrounded the city and the servant of Elisha looked out and saw all these soldiers and he said, my Lord, what shall we do out of fear? And Elijah prayed. And when Elijah prayed, Elijah said this, Lord, I pray thee open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. I always wonder if that helped the servant to see them around about Elisha. But understand this. That group of angels was not there because God needed more than one for the Syrian army. Listen, one angel on one night killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers to answer a prayer of Isaiah and, and Hezekiah. One angel one night. Listen, one angel could have wiped them out. Those were all because of the spiritual battle that was going around the work of God and the man of God and God had made sure that He took care of His man and His work and He will take care of us and our children. Nothing. Nothing. Gets to the life of a person who knows Christ as Savior, but what it first flows through the loving hands of our Father. And He may or may not use angels to keep us safe. Hear me tonight if you just narrowly escaped some situation, don't thank an angel, thank God. Not only Do angels protect, to some degree or another, the people of God? Go to Matthew chapter 22. Just looking at a couple of things that Jesus taught about angels, and not surprisingly, they match the fact that they are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who are the heirs of salvation. Notice also that angels do not marry in heaven or reproduce. Matthew chapter 22, verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. By the way, it isn't our thought tonight, but understand when you don't know the, know the scriptures, ye do err. <laughs> Jesus expected the people around Him, they were Jews whose life and home was intended to be built around the Word of God. It was an error for them to not know the Scriptures and not to know God's power. For in verse 30, He says, "...in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven." Angels neither marry nor are given in marriage. By the way, that's another problem I have with the sons of God in Genesis 6 uh, reproducing and procreating with human women prior to Noah's flood. Uh, in fact, in Genesis 6 too, it said they took them wives. <laughs> and though angels are all male as far as we know, they do not marry nor reproduce. It seems as though every angel is a direct personal creation of God. Jesus Christ did not take upon him the form of an angel when he came here. He came and he took upon him the form of a man because you and I are all made in the image of Adam. It describes you and I as being made in the image of our parents and it follows the genealogy back to Adam. And so we're made in Adam's image. And so Jesus Christ could take upon him the form of a man and die for all our sins on the cross. Not so for angels. Last week we saw how angels will accompany Christ when he returns in power and glory in Matthew 25:31, but for tonight go to Matthew 26. Remember angels are ministering spirits. Sent forth to minister to those who are the heirs of salvation. And at times in the life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth, we see him behaving as only God could behave because he was 100% God. And at other times, we see him behaving and acting and speaking as if he's 100% man. And he was 100% man and acting as a person with full and perfect faith in God should act. And notice what he says here in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 50. Matthew 26, 53, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and He shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels. By the way, a Roman legion was between five and 6,000 men. And when Jesus had been arrested on the night of His passion, He says, Don't you think that I could call 12 legions of angels? Verse 54, but how then shall the Scripture be fulfilled that thus it must be? Jesus always had an eye on the Scriptures being fulfilled. And the fulfillment of the Scriptures was that the Messiah would suffer and that he would die. And so even though He could have used His own authority or could have called 12 legions of angels to shut down the Jewish leaders and that handful of Roman soldiers who took Him from Gethsemane to Jerusalem and wrongly tried Him, He didn't do so because He came to suffer and die for us. By the way, I'm glad He did that. Luke chapter 16. Something else Jesus said about angels. And again, it all... It's that simple description. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to the heirs of salvation? They minister in the fact that they're a messenger. They minister in the fact that they just serve and help uh, the work of God and the people of God. Notice in Luke 16, verse 20, what it says, And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, at the gate of the rich man, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died, here it is, and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes. Notice how the rich, the uh, beggar, got to heaven. He was carried there by angels see, angels, we learned last week, are not only the escorts of the damned to hellfire, according to Jesus in Matthew 13, they are also the escorts of believing people to the bosom of God our Savior when their life is over. Pretty obvious when we see how Jesus spoke about the work and ministry of angels that they are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to believing people in the work of Christ. They ministered to the people of God in the days of the New Testament and Old Testament. They will minister to the people of God as Christ's kingdom is ushered in. We have no reason to think that angels don't do similar things for people in God's work today, the ones seen by us, which brings up a good question. What is my relationship with angels supposed to be? What is my relationship with angels Supposed to be. Go back in your Bible to Psalm 8. Psalm 8. I think mankind in general has a fascination with the unseen spiritual realm. And that fascination, even though God said leave it alone because of all the evil there that you don't understand or are not able to deal with, That that fascination has a lot of people dabbling in the spiritual realm. What is my relationship with angels supposed to be? By the way, before we answer that question, I think it's important we understand something about angels. Notice in Psalm 8, what did I do with that in my Bible? Psalm 8 in verse 3, it says these words, When I consider thy heavens the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, the son of man that thou visitest him? Here it is. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, hast crowned him with glory and honor. Notice man is made a little lower than angels. They are stronger than we are. They are smarter than we are. They are a higher order of creation than we are, though we are made in the image of God, and they are not. And though God gave mankind dominion over the earth, angels are higher than we are, stronger and smarter than we are. And that's why Peter described angels in Second 2 Peter 2.11, and quote, he said, They are greater in power and might. They're smarter, they're stronger, they're greater in power and might than the, in a higher order of creation than we are. What should my relationship be with them? We, we saw earlier in Colossians that even though they're smarter and stronger in a higher order of creation, we are not supposed to worship them. In fact, you and I are taught not even to inquire about their name. You may remember the story from Judges chapter 13. There was an angel that appeared to Manoah and his wife to announce the birth of Samson. And when Manoah and his wife had spoken with the angel, Manoah asked the angel his name. And the angel said this in Judges 13, 18, Why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it is secret? So even an angel who appeared and it had personal conversation, was not an angel they were supposed to know the name of. I remember early on in my Christian life, someone had given me a book about angels, and I uh, was proud and arrogant and thought I knew more than I did. So uh, one of the first books I read was on the book of Revelation as a new Christian. You say, what did you learn? Uh, I l- learned that I didn't know as much as I thought I did. That didn't stop me, though from being proud in vain. Somebody gave me a book on angels, so I read, I read that. And I do remember this, in, the, in, the book of, in that book I read on angels, it said, you have a guardian angel, and that angel helps you all the time. Doesn't it make sense that you would try to find out their name and thank them? And as a new Christian, I thought to myself, that makes a lot of sense. But do you know, even though that made a lot of sense to my natural mind, spiritually speaking, that is damnable advice because it was encouraging me to go and enter into a spiritual realm that I was specifically told, do not do that. And when you go and walk in Satan's turf... It does not matter if your intentions are good. It does not matter if you're ignorant of the danger. It's just like a kid walking in the middle of a busy highway. It is just as dangerous whether they walked in there ignorantly or willfully. We are not supposed to even seek their name. And so as we consider our relationship with angels, hear me when I say this. We're not supposed to have one. We have a relationship with God our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to have no personal relationship with any angel, at least not here and now. And so you and I need to be careful giving too much credit to what we think might or might not be done by angels among us. Listen, you might think you have all this discernment. Oh, that was an angel. Listen. Was it an angel of light or an angel of darkness pretending to be an angel of light? You don't know. And so God said, leave it all alone. We need to be careful thinking we can discern what in the spiritual realm is good and what is bad in the spiritual realm. Listen, you want to know what's good and bad? You got to get in this book. God told us to stay out of that world. God told us to focus on His written words. God told us to look to the Lord Jesus Christ. God told us to trust the Holy Spirit living in us rather than our own spirit or an unknown spirit. And if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you're going to be in situations where you're going to wonder whether that was your spirit, the Holy Spirit, your imagination, or a false spirit. And so because those who are wise understand their limitations, we just give God the credit and praise for everything. We learned how our adversary is a skilled and gifted deceiver. Fact is, by design, angels exist to worship and serve their Creator and to minister to those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ through faith. Which brings us to a close for this thought. And what I want to do is I want us just to go to Revelation chapter 5. Because in Revelation chapter 5, God is going to pull back the curtain. On heaven, in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, the rapture occurs. John is taken up through a door into heaven, and Revelation chapter 5 and chapter 4 describe what he saw in heaven at that moment, and there is going to be a scene that he's going to describe that has like three phases to it. The first phase, the seraphim and the 24 elders who are Humans redeemed from among mankind and highly rewarded for whatever reasons known unto God. This scene is going to begin with the seraphim and those 24 elders in Revelation chapter 5, and verse 8. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts, those are the seraphim, and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. And then notice the next phase is those seraphim and 24 elders are going to be joined by at least 104 million angels. In verse 11, and I beheld, I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts, and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, that's minimally, 104 million, could be much more than that, could be billions. And notice what they say when they join in in verse 12, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain, to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And then notice now there's a third phase to this and that group will now be joined by every creature. And if you're here tonight and you're a child of God, you'll be in this. I don't know if I'm going to, supposed to, but I'm planning to still say with the angels, worthy is a lamb that was slain. Receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Lest the Lord shuts me up. And he might. He's in charge. This much I do know, I will get to say this. And so will you if you're saved verse 13, every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. They had somewhere stood up after they had fallen down and said what they had to say. You see, everything that hath breath, highly honored men, angels, seraphim, cherubim, and regular people like you and I, will one day praise the Lord. We don't praise or thank angels. Though our Father clearly uses them to minister to us, we praise Jesus, the Lamb, the name that is above all names. So Brother Wally, don't you think you ought to thank whatever God does in your life through angels? You know, probably when I've spent a significant amount of time thanking my Father, and after I've spent some time thanking Jesus, I might ask, Lord, do you you know those angels that kept me out of all that trouble? Would you mind if I find them and thank them too? Maybe then. But now, all the praise goes to Him. Amen? You quietly stand.